Welcome back, everybody, to the Pure Ambition Podcast, the show dedicated to bringing you conversations that will help you level up your fitness, mindset, and life. I'm your host, Dom Fusco, and it is my mission to help empower each and every one of you guys to become the best versions of yourselves and live a life worth remembering. Today, I had a live podcast with Sam Cooner. Today, we had a live podcast that I did with Sam Cooner, who I literally met that same day, and we recorded a podcast later in the evening, which was crazy. But Sam is a best-selling author, motivational speaker, and founder and executive director of Nubability Athletics Foundation. He was actually born with one hand, but that has never stopped him from embracing God's purpose for him. He overcame doubt, setbacks, negativity, and countless other obstacles to achieve his dream of playing college baseball. And he owned his difference, which made all the difference in his ability to move forward with confidence in sports, even after many said he never play outside of the rec level. He also faced a life-threatening illness and a bad injury that ended his college career before graduation. At only 17 years old, Sam had a vision from God to create sports camps for kids like him. So he founded Nubability Athletics, a global nonprofit charity that helps him teach thousands of children who have differences that they too can overcome challenges and live a triumphant purpose. As a founder and coach of Nubability Athletics and speaker, Sam spends every single day working with kids and making real changes in their lives. God is using him to reach and encourage more kids in this capacity that he could ever have as a pro baseball player. His goal now is to show kids how they can tap into God's purpose for them and become game changers for God too. This was an awesome conversation. Sam is an incredible guy with a powerful story and a powerful message, and I'm excited to dive into it with him. If you enjoy this episode, if you find it useful, if you find value in it, share it with a friend, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I appreciate you guys. It helps the show grow. Now let's get into it with Sam Cooner. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Pure Ambition Podcast in person, live and in person. I got <laughs> Sam Cooner here. We literally met at lunch today at lunch and learn sam's in town to do an amazing event uh with the uh the corporation that he's that he's founded and that he works with so sam dude appreciate you having him in the studio right now man dom thank you so much for having me on uh anytime that we can share our stories you know i, I feel like that's our that's our duty you know i i don't feel like our story belongs to us i feel like we were given that story to share to somebody else who can help them so i appreciate the opportunity 100 percent, man and it just shows that that God's working, you know, oh, when man. he uh, when he brings guys like you and I uh, and Sam sitting over there together. So, I really just wanted to acknowledge you for all that you've accomplished, all that you've overcome, and for never taking no for an answer, and always pursuing, you know, a better version of yourself, and knowing that you know the Lord has big plans for you. So, you know, for anybody, for anybody listening, Sam has an incredible story and dude, I just want, I want you to just kind of give some background on, on who you are, um, why you're in Westchester PA right now and how this is even possible right now. Absolutely. So I was born in Southern Illinois, uh, about six hours South of Chicago for anybody who's listening. And is like, Oh, is he from Chicago? No, uh, about six hours South of Chicago. I was born without my left hand. 
and I was born with a love of sports, man. And I know with you playing college football, you know what that's like. You you, you almost feel it coming out of the womb. And uh, because I was born differently, you know, I had people doubting me all the way through um, my my younger ages. You know, I dealt with bullies. I dealt with um, people really trying to use my difference to hold me back. And because I have such an amazing mom and dad who I didn't get to tell a whole lot about in the speech today because I only had an hour, um, they pushed me out into everything. You know, they were like, you know, I don't care if you have one hand, you're going to go play, you're going to go and compete with everyone else, and you're not going to have any excuses. And when you get home, it's going to be okay. This is your safe space. And uh, to the point where, you know, when I struggled, had anything go wrong, I had an amazing mother who would read scripture to me. And I'd listen to that scripture. And, you know, as a kid, you, you hear God, you know God's there. But I don't think I actually uh, found the true love of God until later on in life. But at that age, you know, it was a comfort. It was like, yes, this is, this is what I need to hear. And there was one verse that stuck out to me, and that was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> and that verse is probably one of the most overused verses in, in Christianity, probably one of the most overused by athletes because everybody's just like, this is what it means. It means I can do anything. But for me, it truly meant I can endure anything, that I could endure the tax. I could endure the bully, and I can endure um, people not believing me because – I know if I believe in God that I'm going to be okay no matter where this goes. I'm going to be okay. And so uh, I really took to that verse. I made it like kind of my life statement to the point where when I stepped onto the baseball field, it was on my hat. It was on my glove. It was on my cleats. Literally written everywhere. It was on my wall in my room. That one wasn't appreciated. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to live that verse. And so as I grew up and continued to compete against my kids, you know, every year, we would hear he's not going to be good enough to play the next year, every year. And so came into middle school, get to sixth grade, you get the opportunity to represent your town, right? And that's the big opportunity. Go try out, and I'm cut. I'm like, you know, I'm in sixth grade. I've got time to improve. There's eighth graders, seventh graders on the team. They're probably going to play over me. So I understand. I'm just going to go back to work. And I think that's something that a lot of us fail to, to have that mentality. You know, we hear somebody tell us no, and it's like – you know, they're right. Can't do it. They told me I couldn't. And I feel like that, that that encompasses a big group of people. What I chose to do was instead not listen to them. And I was like, you know, I'll be I'll make on that I'll make it on that team next year. And I continued to go and practice, tried out that next year, cut. This time I heard a little bit more. I'm like, you know, I'm one of the older guys. I'm not the oldest, but I'm one of the older guys. Why am I getting cut? But again, I was like, you know, just not there yet. Gotta keep going. And just, you know, put another shell in, keep going, keep trucking. Went out, started working out, getting getting better, getting working with a private pitching coach, working with a private hitting coach. Became one of the better pitchers in summer ball. Come truck guy out for the eighth grade year, and this is the one, man. I was like, yes, this is the one. I know you've heard this story already today, but I'll never forget that day. You know, there's a soap game going on which is where everybody brings a bar of soap to go to the football game. You basically just watch your team practice, you know, you, a scrimmage, a live scrimmage. And uh, mom pulls up to the school. She, I probably opened the door before she ever stopped. Ran up to the school doors. I was just pumped. So my name's going to be on this list. Go and read. No, I didn't see it. All right. Calm down. Focus. Read didn't see it and my heart just kind of sunk and I just you know first I let myself kind of mourn for about like five minutes and then I was like you know what 
you don't have time to mourn. You don't have time to sit here and do something. You know, if you want to get here, you're going to have to get to work right now because some kid around town is working and they're going to beat you on this team if you don't get there. So I went home, immediately started practicing again. Comes out of my freshman year after working out, continuing to pursue this vision of playing and representing my town, made the freshman team. And I was like, you know, this was a culmination of that hard work. And I, I got to thinking, you know, at that time when you're in high school, you're like, this is life. You know, this is everything. Just be in high school, be on your team. We played, I think, 25 games that year. We had three pitchers because some of our other pitchers were playing varsity. And I was one of the three. I pitched in three games that year. And it was kind of a slap in the face because literally they would throw guys out there like fielders and stuff like that to before they would throw me. But I knew my time was coming. You know, the, the one thing I, I have learned from a very young age is there's always calm in the storm, you know. And uh, I was waiting, and that calm came on a day when we played Nashville. And Nashville was, oh, man, they were – big i mean i'm talking they were like six five 250 pounds hopping off the bus dipping a lip hitting the ball a mile man <laughs> ready, ready ready to go and uh they had throttled ducoin um multiple years in a row destroyed our travel team almost every year we played them and coach came with me he's like cooner you're gonna throw today so go out and get loose all right started warming up man i hear that pop of the glove and i'm just like oh yeah it's like, this is going to go good. You know, I had everything was working. My slider was moving. It was like one of the best bullpens. It's like, all right, I'm ready. Start walking back to the dugout, and I overhear the coach talking to another coach. Well, we might as well throw Coonard at him. We're going to lose anyway. Now, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it, Dom. You've probably had people doubt your abilities. You probably had people say you would never play college football. You probably had people say you'd never be able to accomplish anything. The difference between us and somebody else who listens to them is that we refuse you know we have that resilience we have that immediate ability and for me it was the faith in god i was like you know the only person who can determine what i'm capable of is myself and god and his ceiling for me is going to be higher than anybody else can ever ever have so i knew if i continue to put in the work and continue to work for the blessing that when the blessing came it would be to fruition hopped on the mound beat nashville one to nothing face other teams that year who were supposed to be beat by beat them it was you know it was a culmination i thought i had earned the respect of my coaches come to my sophomore year it was kind of same thing barely threw me but threw me against teams that we were guaranteed to get beat by and i beat them you know i was playing basketball and football this whole time too but baseball was my passion and that's i really feel like baseball is where my story uh really goes so that's kind of why i focus on baseball a lot because a lot of the life lessons I learned were through baseball. You know, I, I learned what people would put as perceptions on me. I learned how to grow my confidence to where it didn't bother me, you know. I mean, with being the one-handed pitcher, you hear a lot of cool <coughs> or a lot of cruel things uh, coming from the stands, and they're not always coming from players. They're not always coming from coaches. They're coming from the other team's parents, you know, coming right at the one-handed kid who's on the mound, and you hear it. And, yeah, it makes you mad at first, but – then you realize, you know, okay, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, if I'm going to say that I'm a Christian and I'm going to say I believe in God, and God says that he makes me perfect in his image, so basically I'm spitting on his image. I'm spitting on everything that God said because God wants me to own that difference and go out there and compete. And so when I came into my junior year, 
I was like, you know, throwing the ball pretty hard. I was throwing about 85, 86 on a regular. I was like, all right, I think I've got an opportunity to play college baseball. I think I can really make this happen. But being the coachable kid I was, I was always that kid who wanted to know what coach needed me to do to make my team better, to make myself better. I was like, went to my pitching coach, what can I do to play college baseball? I was expecting, you know, all right, you got to do this much on the squat rack. You know, you got you got to run every day. You've got to stretch. You got to do yoga. Instead, what I got was, well, you throw the ball pretty hard, but there's not many one-handed baseball players in college baseball. And I think these are your last four years. Again, when people put that perception on us, you can listen to it and you can let them win. Or you can not let them take your joy and continue to prove them wrong. Use their doubt, turn it into fuel, and prove them wrong. There's no greater feeling. So coming into my junior year, or leaving my junior year, I threw the ball pretty well, earned the head coach respect for varsity, went on, was a starting pitcher for our summer program, which was like basically your high school team plays in the summer against all the other high school teams. And I went undefeated as a pitcher that summer. And I knew that I had earned his respect because I knew I was going to get to start some games my senior year. And I knew I really earned his respect whenever he called, um, the Greenville College coach called and said, how's he doing? And he just, you know, vouched for me, which was just amazing because I never thought I'd ever hear from a college program. I thought I was going to have to almost do the Josh Allen thing and write a letter to every <laughs> university and send it out, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, that still just blows my mind. Amazing athlete. Uh, but uh, Greenville called, and they're like, hey, we want you to come for a visit. And I was like, all right, you know, you know, they don't call anybody just for visits. They'll, they'll send you the pamphlet if they're not really interested, but they have to, like, make their quota or whatever. Go take the visit. Love the facility. And I'm like, oh, I could see myself on the mound. Uh, as a Ducoin Indian who hated everything Panther, I could see myself in a Panther uniform that said Panthers on it and orange and black. I could, I could like visualize the whole thing happening. I could see that in game all the way to the senior year. You know, everything was visualized. And I was like, this is where I need to be. And the pitching coach comes to me and goes, hey, head coach wants to meet with you at the end of this. I was like, no way. You know, I was like, this is it. This is the opportunity. So I'm coming in, I'm hyped, like trying to compose myself, but hyped. Coach comes to the office, pulls up the chair, and then he does the crossed arms. And he's oh, like, yeah. well, Coonert, I'm just going to be honest with you. You're the type of leader that we look for in this program. You're the type of leader who can help propel us forward. I just don't know if you're physically capable of playing college baseball. We're going to continue to watch you, but that's all I can say for now. And at first, yeah, you know, it hurts. Oh, yep, sorry. At first, yeah, you know, it hurts. It, it, it hurts to – to hear, you know, you were this close and you thought it was right there. And it's almost like that commercial where the guy has the dollar on the fishing line. And he's just pulling it and like, you got to be quicker than yep, that. Yep. Um, I thought this was it. And then this thought comes in my head. It's like, you know, every single person who has ever coached you has doubted you. Every single time you've stepped on the field, you've been doubted. This is no different. Prove them wrong. And all of a sudden I have this culmination of thought coming in my head. It's like, I'll be here this I'll be here next spring. I'll be here at Greenville next spring. I'll be a Greenville Panther. Go through the fall, have an amazing workout, start uh really working for baseball after football. I even decided to give up basketball, which I love basketball, but I was like, you know, I've got to make that extra commitment. I gotta show coach that I'm ready. 
go through it all, get to my senior year. We start one and eight. It was brutal, man. I mean, I'm talking we were losing to teams that we had hammered over the years, and we couldn't understand what was going on. But this is something I encourage all business leaders, anybody who's really thinking of it, don't become a team. Okay, Team has one goal, right? Win. That's it. Become a family. A family wants every single person in that family to succeed at every position. You know, baseball is great because it's both an individual and a team sport. But if you become a family where you're looking out for everybody, that's a whole new dynamic. And so we became a family. We had family dinners every Friday. And after doing that and getting to know each other on a deeper level, we started winning. And we went all the way to state. And we didn't win. Uh, We faced a Catholic school, and they destroyed us. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, man, it it was a journey like no other. And the way the win started was almost like storybook because we were playing against Freeburg, Illinois, in Freeburg. They're usually a pretty good baseball team. They had one of the top hitters in the state. And coach goes, Cooner, you're pitching today. And I was like, let's go. You know, know, let's go. And I'll never forget because that was the first home run I ever gave up to. Very first pitch, boom, gone. But I held him after that. And it was just – it was like – the battle, you know, it was like the battle of the century. Like, here we go. And it turned the key towards our season. And it was just one of those cool things that happened. But because of that senior season, Greenville came calling and said, hey, are you ready to sign yet? And I was like, oh, yeah, I was ready last year. I immediately, you know, started thinking of who am I going to place in this signing photo? You know, you get this big photo. This is the big thing that goes across the newspaper. This is your clip out or your clipping that you get to hold on for the rest of your life. Who do you want in that photo? I was like, well, of course I want my mom and my dad. They pushed me. They drove me. They never let me use my difference as an excuse. They gave me every opportunity. They, they helped me get the coaching. They helped me uh, propel forward. Not only that, they made me the, the man I was, the leader I was, because they had that same mentality. You know, I was like, I got to have mom and dad. I got to have Coach Kraft. I earned his respect. I earned my head baseball coach's respect. He had given me everything. He'd given me the opportunity to go out and compete against the better teams and win. And then I was like, you know, I got to have Mr. Campbell. Mr. Campbell was my athletic director. He was also my guidance counselor. And when I was growing up and dealing with bullies, I'd end up in his office and he would talk to me and he'd tell me, you know, Sam, you're just different. And he would be just blunt, just blunt as day. You're just different. And at first I was kind of like, I understand, you know, I'm missing a hand. He's like, he's like, no, you're different. You're not disabled. You're different. Keep going. And uh, so I was like, I got to have Mr. Campbell in there. And then I was like, you know what? doesn't hurt to have six people in a picture. And I was like, I need that coach. I need that coach who told me I couldn't play to sit in that picture and to sit there when I signed my letter of intent. I want him to see that I had proved him wrong. And not only that, I wanted him to see because I wanted him to learn what a real coach looked like. A real coach is not somebody who tells a player they have no chance. A real coach is somebody who drives the player to be their absolute best, who really pushes them and gives them every opportunity, and will go above and beyond for their players to not only be players, but people. And uh, that, that to me was truly memorable, and I'll never forget. And then it gets crazy once you get to my freshman year. Wow, man. So where did you go from there? You know, you, you overcome all these adversity, all these hardships, all these rejections, you kept proving people wrong. 
You kept proving yourself right, though. I think that's the bigger thing is you kept proving yourself right. Once you got to college, were you better prepared to handle, you know, the challenges that you were going to face or where, yeah, where, where does the story go from there once you get there? You know, it's interesting, you know, because I had this awesome opportunity with being the one-handed athlete in high school where, where a story got out about me and I was able to go and work with kids with limb differences and amputees and, and work with them and show them that, you know, they can do everything anybody else can do and that they don't have to be subjected to one sport that they can play multiple sports and give them the opportunity. Uh, But for me, the biggest difference between high school Sam and college Sam was high school Sam knew who people had that people had put him there and that God had put him there. <clears throat> College Sam had an ego. College Sam thought I was the one who earned the scholarship. I was the one who did all the work. I was the one who was putting in the hours. I, I, it was all me. And, man, I tell you, uh, whenever I ca- got out of that fall season, I was a different person. I was doing things that a younger me would have really been despicable. You know, uh, young, a younger me would have absolutely hated and uh, just things that weren't of how I was raised. And when I got into college and got that ego and started becoming that popular athlete that we were talking about earlier, you know, the athlete that is looking for the next hookup, the next party, you know, how, how can I have that American Pie experience? You know, that's kind of how I wanted to base my college experience. And I was at a Christian school trying this, you know, and then that's, that's – uh, that's not a not a good, good look by any means, but God has a way of whenever we get off track of reeling us in that it is tr- truly humbling and makes you really see the big picture. And so whenever I, I was in college and got done with my uh, fall semester um, program, got a call from my granddaddy. He's like, hey. I got World Series tickets to Game 6 of the World Series tonight. Cardinals, Rangers, would you like to come? It's like, absolutely. He's like, do you have class? Like, oh, I'll skip that, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bigger, bigger, B- more important yeah. things. Yeah, the, the priorities, granddad. You know, right. and uh, got there. Amazing game. Cardinals come back from behind and force a Game 7. And then I was like, you know, this environment's just amazing. I got to get back to it. I got to see this in person. I got to see... The Cardinals win. So we started, and we're at the we're at the dorm room, and we're having a couple of brewskis with the guys, you know, just kind of watching the game. And all of a sudden, we're just like, "Man, we got to get there." We're like, "It's forty minutes, forty minutes away to downtown St. Louis from college." I said, "Let's go." We packed up in like the third, fourth inning because the Cardinals were absolutely throttling the Rangers. I think it was like nine to nothing when we left. Wow! And we're like, "We got to go," and we got there. We got parked and we jumped out and we're right outside the outfield gate and we're just watching through the fence, just waiting for that last pitch to come through and it does. And I'm talking a city of elation, like a city just on fire. And it was literally like every college raunchy movie you've ever seen where (laughs) all of a sudden the cops are not caring about crime and they're just like, have some beer, have some, you know, (laughs) and just pouring it. And I'm pretty sure. I witnessed at least six uh, fender benders where people got out of their car. I'm not joking. Got out of their car. It's like, go cards. It's like, <laughs> and your insurance. <laughs> but uh, it was just such an amazing environment. I was like, man, this is awesome. This is, this is what athletes hope for. This is the type of environment and celebration they want. 
And then we went back to our dorm, and then that next day I woke up and I felt terrible. I like I couldn't just pick myself up off a of bed. I couldn't stand up. And once I finally did stand up, I was so dizzy. It was a feeling I had never felt before. You know, I'd been sick before, but I'd never been like this. And so I did what any college kid would do. I called my mom and said, hey, I don't know what's going on. I've never had anything like this. I was like, I can't really explain my symptoms other than I'm dizzy. I can barely, I'm very weak and a little nauseous. She's like, well, what's your temperature? And my roommate took my temperature, who was also my catcher at the time, takes it. And Michael's like, oh, he's running about 101.502 degree fever. Okay, um, mom's coming. And she, she's like, I'll be there in about an hour and a half. Be ready. Okay. So start, you know, packing up just a couple overnight bags thinking I'm only going to be gone for a day or, or more. I'm just gonna, I just need mom's home cooked chicken noodle soup or something, you know. That's, Cures everything. It does. It does. It's, it's the natural remedy. And I'm like, okay, this is what I need. Get home, start feeling a little bit better. Not, not great, but a little bit better. And mom makes some homemade chicken noodle soup and it was pretty good, you know. And uh, I was like, you know what? I got to have one more night, one more night of mom's cooking. And so I was like, I'll stay the night one more night, wake up the next morning. I can't pick my head up off a couch. You know, here I was, I don't know if you remember the insanity workout. I had just completed the insanity asylum edition because it came out in 2012 or 2011. I'm sorry. It was the toughest workout I've ever been through, but man, the results were insane. I was in the best shape of my life. I was 6'5", 225 pounds, barely any body fat on me, but I couldn't pick myself up off the couch. And so my dad, who's a big farm boy, um, also a banker, but he comes home. He's about 6'2", 240, slings me over his shoulder like I'm dog food and (laughs) carries me to the truck because I can't. I couldn't put any weight on. I couldn't. I couldn't help him i mean he had to when he got me to the er they put me in a wheelchair rolled me in they're like this kid's dangerously enlarged uh, has a dangerously enlarged liver and spleen he's dehydrated we need to get him hospitalized immediately now i thought this might be just be one day you know they're gonna hook me up to ivs and i'll get to go home that was the first day of 14 14 uh days of hell honestly i mean i i, I will never forget it and I truly felt like I was, you know, looking back now that I was in a spiritual battle, not just a physical battle, but I was in a spiritual battle. And the reason I say that was because for seven days, nobody could tell me what was going on. For seven days, there were symptoms of everything, but cures for nothing. I ran 104 to 106 degree fevers, had hallucinations, but the thing I remember most were the shakes. You know, there's chills, and then there's what I had. It felt like literally somebody was kneeling down on my chest, holding my shoulders, and just shaking me as hard as they could. It was almost like uh, a convulsion, almost, is what it what it looked like to other people. And I just remember wanting it to stop and not knowing, you know, what what's going to get this to stop. And I got to talking with, with my mom, and, and I'm like, I don't, why is it not stopping? She's like, well, what, do you, what did you do for comfort? You know, what can I do to help you? And I started thinking, you know, as a kid, I loved hunting. But hunting in the dark, whenever you're first little, you start thinking of every creature that could possibly come out of the dark. And my dad taught me this prayer, and my mom, mom and dad both did. And it's the Lord's Prayer. So I started saying the Lord's Prayer. 
anytime I got uncomfortable in life, I said the Lord's Prayer. Whether I was truly comfortable with my faith or not, the Lord's Prayer was my comfort. I started saying the Lord's Prayer. Did it stop? No, but it started giving me some kind of peace. Day seven, they did that lymph node biopsy. They sent it off to Mayo Clinic and all, all these other hospitals, St. Jude, and uh, shipped me off to St. Louis University Hospital because they can't do anything for me. You know, here I am. I think I'm down 15 pounds at this time. I end up losing a total of 25. They ship me off to SLU. We get up to the hotel room, and my mom's phone rings, and she answers it and hits her knees crying. And I'm like, oh, man, what's on the other end of this? And that's when my dad um, hit his knees. And, man, I'll tell you, today, as a 30-year-old man, I can count on one hand the times I've seen my dad cry. It was this day in the hospital, his dad passing away, and then whenever I almost went to the hospital, or whenever I had to go to the ER for another health issue later in life, I never had seen him cry up to this point. And I saw my dad cry. And I knew immediately this is not good. And uh, doctor on the other end of the line calls my mom. She's like, ah, Jana, what I'm going to tell you is scary. And I need you to fight. And you need to get every single person in that hospital to see your boy. She said, but what I'm going to tell you is your son has a disease that's called acute multicentric multiplasmoblastic Castleman's disease. And it's a disease that only two people in the United States were diagnosed with at that time in, each, in 2011. And it had a fatality rate of a few months to a few weeks. And, man, when I tell you, when my mom told me this, that you have a quick way of realizing this life is temporary, it, it, it was quick. You know, I started thinking, like, really now like it's like you got me here to play college baseball and now i can't play anymore like and then i started thinking bigger picture i'm not going to get to be a, a husband i'm not going to get to be a father i'm not going to get to be an uncle to my brother's kids because none of them have them it's like you know I, it just sucks you know i was like i can't believe that this life has just been taken from me and i felt like i had to earn it and it was taken and then i got to thinking like man you're not in the right headspace you don't understand. Like, your life is over. Are you in a position right now where if somebody comes up and asks you, Sam, are you going to heaven? Are you going to be able to say yes? And at that time, it was no. And I immediately knew that I needed to do something. And I was like, you know, I've wronged so many people get to get here. I've, I've hurt people. I've hurt girls. I've hurt, I hurt friends. And I didn't care about it because it didn't affect me. You know, I was like, it didn't affect my progress moving forward. And I've, and, uh, so I started reaching out to him. I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I'd write him a, a personal text about the experience and I'd apologize for everything that I had done because I was too weak to talk, but I could text. And I'm not even joking, man. To, to my surprise, I would say most all of them texted back within 30 seconds. I forgive you. That's, that doesn't happen. I can text my wife right now. I love you. I might not hear it till nine o'clock, you know, and uh, that's just, that just blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, it's like, this is really it. You know, I started thinking my life's really over. Like these people know it. Like they, they've heard it now. They've heard that I'm dying. And I remember, you know, having people come and pray for me, the other church pastors and everything. 
And I remember laying in bed and my mom and dad had gone down to the food court and it was just me in the room. And I realized, you know, I need to talk to somebody else. I haven't talked to God since I was a kid. And I, even when I was a kid, I don't know if I fully spoke with him. And I felt like, you know, this is the time. And I said, God, thank you for this life. You know, thank you for every person you've put into my life, every single um, instance of, of success and every failure, everything that you've given me. I just want to thank you for it. And if this is my time to go, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. But if you give me a second chance at this life, I promise to live this life to serve others and to serve you. I will no longer be about me. Woke up, you know, the next day, numbers weren't that great. I think this is day 13. Numbers aren't great. And uh, everything's going in backwards. My skin's jaundice. It's like the color of Dijon mustard. Everything's going wrong. Day, day 13 comes around, and I hear that there's this prayer visual at my, at my college. I was a freshman. I was a freshman baseball player. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't, hadn't had a time to really um, get myself engulfed into the school other than what we had to do for baseball. My whole school came together for a prayer visual for me. And in that prayer visual, I later learned that people actually came back to God in that prayer visual because of the outpouring of support towards me. That next day on day 14, I woke up running a 98.6 temperature, which is normal. I was down 25 pounds, but I was able to stand up for the first time in 14 weeks, go to the bathroom by myself for or 14 days, go back, go to the bathroom myself, move around, eat everything. It was, I knew my slate had been, I knew I'd been given a second chance. Like I knew it before the doctors came in and started poking and prodding me like Texas barbecue that I had been given that second chance. And I'll never forget this doctor coming in and he goes you know i'm not a godly man he said i i'm not but i can't explain why you're better he's like i can't explain it and not only that you get to go home today and they sent me home and you know i there was some struggles getting back academically and you know with with the uh the trouble of, of what it had done to me but to be able to go home after you were told you're going to die literally less than a week ago, I knew there was bigger things on the horizon. Wow, man. There's so much to unpack there. But how did you feel leaving the hospital knowing that not even two weeks ago you were told that you might not see the next couple of weeks, you know, going from hearing that news to then so quickly being literally like reborn, giving that second chance. How did you feel after that? How did you navigate that? And then what were the next steps? Like, how did you then, like you told, you said, okay, God, you're giving me this, the second chance. I'm gonna live to to serve you, and I'm gonna help people. How did you then go about doing that, man? I I will tell you that a new perspective was put in my was put in my head and in my heart, and it was like, this is no longer about you. What can you do for this person? 
what can you do for the next person you come in contact with? That's what you're supposed to do. And, you know, I could sit here and, and say, you know, because, because of this, this journey, you know, my faith today is stronger than ever, but it wasn't stronger than ever the year after, you know, it, it, our faith is a journey. And I, you know, I know I said this earlier, but our faith is like a gravel road. You know, there's, there's potholes everywhere that are going to knock you off, but it's about enduring those potholes. You know, that's why I bring back that Philippians 4.13, enduring it and continuing to move on um, through Christ, you know. And once you reach the end of that gravel road, there's a beautiful set of pearly gates, but we have to get through the gravel road first. We got to stay out of the ditch. We got to. We can't take the smooth turn off road that dead ends. You know, that's 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 what devil's putting in, in your way. They're going to put this smooth turn off that says, turn here. But what you don't see is about four miles down the road is a dead end. And you're going to have to turn back around to get back to the gravel road. And it just increases your time on that road. But, uh, man, I immediately realized that the vision that God had placed in my heart from that previous year, from the working with those kids of creating a a camp where kids get to learn from coaches who look like them, who played at the highest level, I realized that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, I made a promise to God right there. He gave me this vision. You know, what I didn't say earlier today, just because it would have increased the length, after I worked with those kids and after I saw the rod God given talent, that night I went back to the YMCA dorms and there was no air conditioning. It's 150 degrees, you know. So there was no sleep happening probably either way. But I kept hearing this voice in my head. And it kept saying, you can change this. You can change this. And this voice did not stop. And at first I was like, you know, I'm not going to acknowledge it. I'm not going to say anything. You know, I, I, I don't think, I think I'm just hearing things in my head. Just, you know, just lack of sleep, hot. But I kept hearing it. You can change this. And next thing you know, I was like, God, what can I do? You know, I was like, how can I change this? I'm just one person. I'm a, and at this time, I'm going into my senior year of high school. I'm one person. How can I change this? Then the next day, that's where the vision came. And it was the vision of this camp. And after leaving the hospital, I knew I had to bring this vision to fruition. And so immediately when I got home from the hospital, mom and I began working on the foundation. You know, we had done stuff with the foundation as in uh, – we started the process of becoming a 501c3. We actually got granted a probationary status, which is how Illinois does it. You have to be on a probationary period, I think, for like two or three years before you get your official 501c3 status. But we were only doing like YouTube tutorials and videos and little social media posts of me doing things, and, and it was about me before that. And immediately I realized, okay, God wants this camp. And so I went and talked to some of the people at my school, Greenville, at the time, and I was like, how would you guys like to host this? Like, this is what I want to bring. This is what I want to bring to your campus. I want this opportunity to work with these kids and show them they can do it. And I was like, I have seven coach or six coaches who I've recruited alongside myself to coach these kids in these sports. Will you give me this opportunity? And they donated the campus to us, the whole campus, the whole college campus. We had dorms, everything, all donated. 19 kids showed up and those six coaches I mentioned and I knew I knew right then this is why God gave me the second chance now if you ever want to hear God laugh tell him your plans what I thought God's plan was was one camp 
it was that camp. You know, that's it. Just one camp every year. Just one camp. God's plan was to transform that camp into a camp that one day would hold 189 different kids from 49 states and five countries at a time in a town of 6,500 people in Ducoin, Illinois. Three stoplight town. We've got more bars than we have anything. <laughs> and people come to Ducoin, Illinois for that camp. But not only did he do that, he opened doors to where we've had that camp now for 10 years. And we've brought our camps to 14 different states, served over 1,500 limb different youth from 49 states and 11 countries. Still waiting on Hawaii. So anybody from Hawaii is listening, I will pay for the kids' airfare. Uh, <laughs> but uh, We'll make it happen. Yeah, exactly. But, man, I thought it was one camp in God's vision. And so far, at, at the end of this year, it will be 50 camps whenever we get to our Texas camp. It will be wow. 50 camps that we've held since the summer of 2012. Wow, man. That's incredible. And for anybody listening, because I got the – you know, I had the pleasure of, of seeing – the video uh, of the camp and kind of hearing more about it, but can you talk a little bit more about what the camp is, what you're able to provide for these kids? Yeah, yeah. So what we do is we teach kids born with limb differences, both acquired and congenital um, limb differences, so amputees. Uh, and the way we look at limb difference is different than other people. And the fact that we look at it is if it's affected their limb, they're limb different. If it's affected the way they play, they're limb different. So we take on highly mobile cerebral palsy, frozen limb syndrome, uh, among others. And what we do is I provide them with a coach like Sam Rudloff over there who have competed at the highest level of mainstream sport. So it gives each kid a mentor who looks like them, who will drive them and push them. Because coaches today want to try and coddle these kids, and they want to you know, think that they're going to have such a touch, tough time, and they want to make it an easy way. And that's the wrong way to do it. I know that their hearts are in the right place, but that's the wrong way to do it. You have to push these kids because they're never going to have it easy in this world. And as far as getting them out there in mainstream sport, the reason I do it is because they're going to be competing with those same kids every day for the rest of their life. They're not only going to compete against them on the track to to mainstream sport, whether they're playing college sport, but if they're not, they're going to compete for jobs. They're going to compete with them in in the weight room. You know, there's going to be competitions the rest of your life. And if you focus on facing the track that is similar to you, then you've already held yourself back. And, uh, you know, I immediately uh, knew that whenever I got these coaches in front of these kids that their lives were changed because you see kids come into camp, they have their nubs in their pocket, they're hiding their, they're rolling down their pant legs to hide their prosthetic legs, and they leave with their nubs in the air and they're wearing shorts. You know, that to me, that's a success. Anytime we can get these kids to own these differences through sport is huge because, I mean, as you know as an athlete, there's more lessons to be learned through sport than anything else. Sport now is more about diversity and inclusion than it ever has been before, but there's still people who are trying to place that perception on these kids, and what we're trying to do is to break them out of that box. Wow, man. So you started this when you were still in college, right? So you mentioned you're 30, and this is the 10th year of it, so this will be 10 years of of running the camp? So actually... Um, we started the process of the foundation my senior year of high school. Um, officially became a 501 c 3 my freshman year of college, so 2011, November of 2011. And then, uh, so it's been 12 years, 12 years of doing a nonprofit. Um, and 
or t- no, 11 years, 11 years, <laughs> my math's not the greatest, uh, 11 years of doing a nonprofit and 10 years of camps. And uh, this past year we held 12 camps, or this year, I mean, we've held 12 camps by, um, by November. And we're always looking to grow and add more camps. You know, we want every child, every child to know they can go out and compete. No matter what their difference is, they can go compete. We want to get out into the countries where, you know, like Latin America, I had the blessing my freshman year of college to go on a mission trip that was also a baseball tournament. And I went out there, I competed and pitched against the the Dominican Republic. They're, They're baseball players who were just home for the holidays. They were actually pro baseball players. I came in the last inning and got one, two, three. Just like that. Struck the first guy out. I think second guy grounded out and third guy flew out. As I was warming up in that game, the crowd was just like enormous. It was all, everybody was piled up behind home plate. They were loud. They were yelling. It was like no baseball atmosphere you've ever been into because usually baseball is quiet until something happens, right? Loud the whole game. As I started warming up, it, it was silence. Just I'm out in the bullpen in the outfield and it's silence. I'm throwing, I'm throwing. All of a sudden, I see my catcher's eyes just get really big. And I'm like, what is going on? Then I hear a whisper. I turn around. That entire crowd is behind me on that fence watching me warm up. They had never seen a limb different athlete play because in their culture, when a child is born with a limb difference, they're seen as cursed. And so they're either, one, hidden away, two, put into a working camp, or three tossed into an orphanage and uh i went out there and had the one two three inning and i thought i did something wrong because they charged the field like they were all the fans everybody next thing you know they're ripping off my jersey they took my glove my hat you know they're and they're trying to take pictures with me and they're they're talking um i think it's portuguese i can't remember exactly what it is in the dominican republic and they're talking and they're just like loving it and then the translator comes up to me he's like do you understand what you did? Like, no, who do I disrespect? It's <laughs> like, can I get my glove back? I need that for the next few games. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, no. These kids, these athletes, have never seen anyone like you step on a baseball field. He's like, you know, the older Dominicans, we've seen Jim Abbott. He said, but nobody has seen one like you here. And I was like, and he's like, if you have some time. I want to take you somewhere. He's like, I'm going to go talk to your coach, but I want to take you somewhere. And he's like, okay. You know, he goes talk to coach. Next thing you know, coach looks at me, he's like, nods his head. So, all right. So we get in the car and we go as a team to this orphanage. Get to this orphanage and I find kids with limb differences that were just tossed away. And it broke my heart immediately. I'm like, man, these kids weren't even given a chance. You know, this is after... Um, God had given me that, you know, after God had given me that second chance, this was in early 2012, I think it was January 2012. And immediately I'm like, man, how blessed are you? How blessed are you that you had the opportunity to actually go out and compete? You know, any one of these kids would die for that opportunity to be a kid. And, you know, this is a culture that is hundreds of years old. But my goal is to get our camps down to those areas, have a camp for like two weeks, and then scrimmage these kids against the others. I guarantee you in two weeks I can put a team together, and I guarantee you they can compete 
They might get their butts kicked, but they'll get out there and compete, and the respect they will earn will crush the curse that they have been given. One thing that I keep hearing, you know, as I hear you talk is just, and that I'm, I'm enamored by is your confidence that you've had for so many years and that you continue to have now. Like, And everything that you've done, you've been able to overcome it. You've been able to have such an incredibly strong mindset in terms of, I love what you say, and anything that has not gone your way, you give yourself five minutes to kind of just sit with that, digest that, and then reassess how you're feeling, and then push that, push those emotions to the side. Because I think when we get too emotional sometimes, when we let our emotions get the best of us, it really inhibits us from going out and then making the progress that we actually want. Like, And things, as you know, are not always gonna go the way they want. we oh, want them ab- to. Absolutely. It's inevitable that these things happen. So. What are some of the ways that you've continued to, I interviewed um, a guy named Alex Weber and he, he wrote a book on failing and confidence and he talked about um, your confidence bank. So, you know, making deposits into your confidence bank. How have you been able to continue to make deposits into that confidence bank that have gotten you to where you are today and where you're continuing to go? I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you the biggest thing I ever did was I never looked at my failures as an obstacle or as a wall. Mm. I never looked at it like that. You know, too many people, they fail and they're like, ah, oh, and this big wall crashes down. And they're like, how do I get over this wall? Or how do I get through this wall? Failures aren't supposed to be walls. They're supposed to be steps. They're supposed to be steps to success. You know, you might get knocked down the staircase, but if you keep climbing, you're going to reach the top. And so that's kind of the mentality I took on was anytime anything goes wrong, there's always going to be something good at the other end. I just have to push through. I just have to endure the, everything that's being thrown at me. And if God, if Jesus Christ could endure the pain and the suffering that he experienced on the cross whenever they drove the nails through his hands and feet, whenever they topped his head with a crown of thorns, you know, I love the verse Philippians 4.13 so much that I actually got it tattooed on me. And in this tattoo, it really tells about my outlook of life. So you've got a cross, right? And it's a rustic cross because it's been through the cracks. It's, it's had everything thrown at it. You have an anchor. An anchor is a man, you know, it shows you're staying, you're stuck with. So I'm anchored to his strength. Then you see a wheel. And my mom always had this saying, says, God steers moving ships. So keep moving. No matter what happens, keep moving. And so I really took that to heart. And then you've got the crown of thorns there. And why is that there? Because that reminds me, no matter what I'm going through, I didn't go through anything that he didn't go through. You know, I didn't go through anything close to what he went through. This man gave us the ultimate sacrifice. He gave us the ultimate opportunity by sacrificing himself. You know, We have the opportunity to choose if we do right or do wrong because of Jesus Christ. And too often in the Christian world today, you know, everybody gets really religious and judgmental and throw, you know, throws verses out and looks at people's past and they kind of cast them aside. But if you look at Jesus Christ, Jesus met with the prostitutes in the street. He loved them in the street. He met with he met with the Pharisees where they were at. He met with every single person where they were and loved on them. 
because that's how we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to love every single person for who they are, how they are, and meet them on their ground, not force them into this faith. Everyone's faith journey is different. But if they're on that journey and you can help them on that journey, that's what we're supposed to do. Wow, man, that's incredibly powerful. You know, it's it's not just what we do for ourselves, but it's what we we give to others. I, I refer to this a lot, but one of my mentors in college, she told me to think about your legacy in your life. Life is all about the legacy that you're creating, the legacy that you want to leave. And but your legacy is not determined by what you do. It's determined by what you give. Yeah. So I think it's all about, you know, yes, taking care of yourself, continuing to grow, continue to be the best you can be, show up as the best version of you so that you can give back to other people, you know? And so one of the things that, or one of the reasons why I've been so drawn to fitness and athletics is because lots of lessons can be learned. Right. Yes, you're going to fail. You're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna have the best game that you wanted to have. You're not right. gonna, you know, you go for a PR on bench or spot. Like you're not always gonna hit it, right? Like you're going to have those failures, and you're gonna have to reassess, um, you know, where you went wrong and how you can then improve. And then right. once you have, now you have that, and now somebody's gonna come to you and say, hey, you know, I saw that you, you failed or like you had that setback or whatever, but now. You, you've overcome that and you've, you've empowered yourself. So, and you just described Christianity. Hmm. Think of it that way. You just described true Christianity Explain. because when you go to the gym, if you just show up one day, are you going to be able to meet that PR? No, sir. You have to keep showing up. Same thing with your faith. You have to keep pushing and keep pushing through. And when the weight of the world gets too heavy, we have the ultimate spotter waiting to take it from us. That's Christianity. Push through to gain strength. Push through all the obstacles that are thrown at you. Push through everything until you can't take it anymore and then give it all to him. You know, whenever you give it to your spotter, you're not still holding a bunch of the weight, right? He's taking a lot of the weight off you. You're just kind of guiding it up. Same way with God. I've always seen, not always, but like recently I've seen fitness and exercise and you know just wellness in general as a spiritual experience yeah you know but i never could explain it like that and that's an incredible way to look at it yes and that that is that is a hundred percent a christian faith to a t push through endure what you can but when you can anymore you give it to god mm. if you can do that rest of your life set no matter what you know this world right now as you know is going through so much financial turmoil so much stress so much tragedy but people have lost faith mm. remember that god is going to get you through it no matter what it is he might not get it get you through it as a millionaire you know you might not but if you're alive if you're breathing if you have that sense of gratitude for every breath that god gives you man what a life and what role does fitness, does nutrition, does wellness, do these mindset practices, what role do they have in your life and how do they continue to you know, help you elevate yourself as an individual, both mentally, physically, and spiritually? Man, I, I live with this motto of I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. Hmm. And you know that might sound 
kind of cliche you're taking one step you know what how are you getting how are you getting better if i take one step every day for 365 days then i'm going to be that much better than i was the year before that goes for the gym that goes for um, nutrition that goes for um, physicality everything you do all your wellness um, anything with with your faith if you attack it maybe i'm going to read one more bible verse today Maybe I'm going to do one more set today in bench. You know, maybe I'm going to do one more set in squats. Maybe I'm going to um, go out and I'm going to, um, instead of having that big um, Philadelphia cream cheese roll or something, I'm going to go and I'm going to make myself a salad because I want to, you know, I just want that wellness uh, check to come through. Finding a way to better yourself one step every day. And this, you know, this translates into workforce. This translates into life. You know, one more call. I'm going to call one more client today. I'm gonna call, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna look up one more house today if I'm a real estate agent. There's so many opportunities to get better that people waste. You know, you have so much time, but it's temporary. Mm-hmm. And if you spend your time worrying, if you spend your time feeling that wall come down and s- stick in front of you, and not know that you can just climb it, that you can just climb it like a set of stairs, if you just break down each failure like game film. You know, every time you fail, just look at it like game film. And that for an athlete, that's got to be really easy. But for those who don't understand, whenever you're watching game film, you're not looking for what you did right. You're looking for what you did wrong. You want to see how did I do this and where did I get from here and how do I avoid this going forward? That's beautiful, man. I think that's a good place to kind of wrap this thing up. And, dude, I just want to say, first of all, thank you. And I appreciate you for all that you do and being here and the, today we met a couple hours ago and now we're we're getting really deep on this podcast <laughs> here you go. Um, but so yeah man let's uh we'll hop into the quick three here and then um i'll ask you the last question and then we'll tell everybody how they can support the podcast or i'm sorry support well they need uh, to support the support podcast, the podcast. Um, they do need to support the podcast support um you know everything that you're doing right um with all of your organizations and things like that so question number one is I know you're a, you're pretty you're a pretty big guy so but uh you know pretty healthy dudes what is your go-to cheat meal ooh barbecue 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 all day and and when I'm talking barbecue Dom you you just opened up a new book because that's my favorite <laughs> that's my favorite thing to do but my cheat meal check this out okay you smoke a whole brisket you smoke a whole pork butt and you smoke a brisket point which is where you get burn ends from you cut up the burn ends you slice the brisket you pull the pork you put the pulled pork down on the bun then you top it with the brisket then you top it with the burn ends then you take some beer cheese and you drizzle that on top and then take some homemade barbecue sauce with some coleslaw and oh ho, 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 ho. <laughs> <laughs> and you 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 top that with some potato salad and some uh some baked beans on the side and you're good oh my gosh man i yeah i can't guarantee you're gonna get anything like that over here in pennsylvania <laughs> but that sounds incredible if i'm ever out in the midwest if that, that's something well, you're, that you're, you're head to texas i am going to texas you're, that's the home of texas barbecue yes, and austin's pretty good barbecue <laughs> definitely get you uh at least a brisket sandwich while you're there terry black's is, is a good spot if there you, you go if you've never been down to austin there in austin that's a good spot number two what is one of the most impa- most impactful places that you've ever visited? That orphanage. 
and the Dominican Republic. Most impactful by far because it changed my perception. It changed my perspective on why God has me doing this. Why God has why had God has chosen myself and my coaches to move this vision forward? You know, what what was behind it? And it's because we don't ever want any kid to feel like those kids. I love that. Lastly, what is a book or podcast that you jam out to that's Ooh. had a positive impact on your life? You know, I, I love the Ed Milet show. Oh, um, absolutely love the Ed Milet show. But the book that had the biggest impact on me, and if you haven't read it yet, from a football guy, I absolutely, absolutely recommend it. It's more than just a catch by David Tyree. And I actually had an opportunity later on in life, about like two, two or three years ago, right before COVID, to interview David and talk about that book and tell him you know, how it impacted me. But if you ever want to see how someone can take the absolute lowest point in their life and give it to God and then reach a high, the David Tyree, more than just a catch, is the book. Add that one to the list for sure, man. Well, dude, I appreciate that. The last question I have for you is a question that I ask all my guests, and this is the Pure Ambition Podcast. It's all about health, wellness, and you know, using that to become a better version of yourself. When you hear the word ambition, what does that mean to you? What comes to mind? And then how does that apply to your daily life? And I would say ambition is waking up with a passion, waking up with a passion to, to do something. And if, if you're passionate about something, in reality, nobody should outwork you for it. No one should ever have to put in more hours. If somebody else is putting in more hours than you towards a mission, then you need to change that. You need to be, able to be willing to give more to that. If your passion is your faith, give everything you have to your faith. Give it to the point, you know, I, I know I listed this quote earlier, but Aeneas Williams has the greatest quote, I think, of all Christian athletes. And it's, give everything you have to this life and go to the grave empty. Don't waste anything because this is temporary. Meaning you, me, Sam, everybody listening is going to be in the ground one day. Mm-hmm. One day we are all going to go into the ground. But it's up to us to determine with what goes in that ground is an empty vessel or if it has spirit left over. Mm. I'm determined not to have any spirit left over. I'm determined to send an empty vessel in that ground. And I think if everybody else chose to have that same perception and that same ambition towards their life, this world would be amazing. I could not agree more, man. That's powerful. Dude, I just want to say I appreciate you. I am very grateful that you know God brought us together and we were able to have this conversation today if somebody wants to check you out find you on social media check out more of your stuff or you know get involved in your organization where can they go absolutely you can go to uh, nubability.org nubability.org you can find us on social media all the different channels if you want to find me personally just look up sam kunert uh, s-a-m-k-u-h-n-e-r-t you can find me on all of the social media channels as well don't hesitate to reach out. You know, that, that's the thing I, I, I really feel. This life is temporary, and God put us in this position for a reason. And any message, any, any, anybody who reaches out will always be met with gratitude and will always be met with respect. I will always answer every message that I can because I believe that everybody's time is valuable. Every story is valuable because God's given, given you the opportunity to grow through another person. Incredible, man. Well, you're doing the Lord's work, and 
you know, I'm excited to see all that you will accomplish and all the lives that you will impact. I appreciate it, Dom. Thank you so much for having me today.